the Sadler's Post. Sadlers and leather workers from around the world join host Christian Lowe to share secrets and stories on the leather trade. My guest today on the Sadler's Post podcast is Lauren Broxton, a fashion designer specializing in leather repurposed from the saddlery trade in Walsall, England. Lauren, welcome to the Sadler's Post podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Awesome. So uh, you came to my attention because I was uh, being good and reading up on in my industry and I saw in the equestrian trade news that you had won a scholarship from Abbey England, who are just a wonderful organization, the supplier to the saddlery trade. And what, you know, just jumped out at me is like, oh, yeah. And they also, you know, um, support a lot of other industries and the fact that as i'm learning about you going yeah there, there's someone who's actually making use of all these remnants and offcuts um from from my trade so that's exciting to know to to see so obviously um i want to get into the bones of you know how this <clears throat> came to you and and your journey into it yeah absolutely um so <clears throat> I think it's important to maybe point out for me, um, fashion always came first. So um, I'm predominantly from a fashion background. Um, I started training about 12 years ago now. Um, started off from a really sort of fine art basis. And then I think um, as I was rising up the ranks and coming through education, it became more apparent that I was absolutely obsessed with fashion um, and identity Um, just so happens to be that I was born and bred um, in Warsaw which historically is the center of uh, of the saddlery trade Um, so it was always um, apparent in my childhood Um, many summer schools spent at the leather museum which is incidentally around the corner um, from where my studio is now Um, and it was a material I was always experimenting with throughout my fashion education I just couldn't keep away from it Um, and then uh, during my graduate year um, where I came to do my final collection um, I had been heavily experimenting with um, some saddlery remnants that I'd managed to get my hands on through um, some friends uh, because being in Warsaw it's one of those everybody knows someone who works in saddlery so I started acquiring large amounts uh, of waist leather and then learned that there was a hell of a lot of leather that um, that goes to waste or doesn't get used for various reasons and um, from there I, I built my collection locals which was 14 pieces completely made from reclaimed leather um, and that quickly became the backbone of my working process within within my brand now. So yeah, it's been a long journey, but um, here we are. <laughs> and I would imagine that the saddlery trade is probably embracing what you do. Like they they must be really excited about it. Like I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, the suppliers I work with at the moment. Um, and people that I'm sort of back and forth to. I'm quite visible in my, in my business and 
especially when you start out, you know, you, you're doing everything. So you are going here and there and meeting people. And I think, I think there is a, um, some excitement about having it um, reimagined in a different way. Um, I never want my stuff to look on the nose. I always want it to be on the mark. Uh, sounds a little bit cheesy, but um, <laughs> no, I know. love it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like to to reimagine it in a really sort of polished, sophisticated, and there's a slight industrial, quite edgy kind of sense in my work. But um, yeah, I think I think building now, there's there's a real sense of excitement, which is it's really yeah. nice. I think so. I'm saying this as a as an outsider and and. One of you know a dear 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 friend of mine is 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 from Walsall, and oh, wow. um, we met when he immigrated to Canada. That's who I apprenticed with, and I learned mm -hmm. a lot about the town um, from him. But it was through his eyes, and you know I'm the the product of British immigrants, um, and you know when you come from a place where class and um, your background, your accent, your postal code, everything yeah. plays a factor into what people think you're capable of, yes. where, where where you belong, you know, you're a round peg, well, let's put you in this round hole and that's it. Mm -hmm. So does your work, I mean, are you trying to make a statement, uh, say we're busting out of this mold? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, carry on there because I, I think I've cut into you there. No, I, I, I as I say, I don't want to speak out of turn. It's an industrial yeah. area, right? And everyone yeah. that I think, um, everyone that I, I know in the saddlery trade, there's very few that look at themselves as artisans. They look mm -hmm. at themselves either as I'm a factory worker. I'm a saddler, but it's not said in, you know, in North America, you're, you're, when you say you're a saddler, you're implying like, I, I design things, I make things with my hands, I'm, you know, you, you really identify more possibly as an artisan or heritage trade. It's a more romantic spin you're putting on it, right? Whereas in the yep. town, like in Walsall, I kind of feel like I'm a factory worker um, at the end of the day. I don't think they give themselves enough credit for what they do. So no. it's so cool that you're coming along and saying, look what I've created out of your offcuts. So Thank you. Yeah, I, I just love, that's why I was so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head uh, when you when you said, you know, we're breaking out of this mold. And that is really um, tied into the ethos of what I do. Um, as I said, being born and bred in Warsaw, you're kind of born into a, um, there are certain expectations which you're, you can reach. And I, I don't think we're kind of brought up to maybe believe we can achieve um, things that are higher than, than what's set out for you. Um, I was always really creative um, as a child. I was, funnily enough, always making things out of rubbish. <laughs> so it's sort of come full circle now. And I think it took me a long time, I think, to accept where I was from. 
I spent enough time trying to get out of Warsaw. Um, and I'm kind of not ashamed to say that, but I wear it very much with pride now that I'm from the black country um, and that leather is such a huge part of my heritage. Um, but I am trying to sort of really turn it on its head um, do something spectacular with it, I hope, um, and appreciating all the spectacular things that, like you said, um, saddlers and, you know, down to the machinists in factories, because I've been in those factories too and worked in them, and you're absolutely right, people don't realise just how incredible they are to be as skilled as they are. But um, I think my graduate project was very much about embracing where I was from, and really romanticizing it, reappropriating it in a different way, showing it through a fashion lens and um, just transforming it into into something something magical, which is what we do as designers, I guess. Yeah, uh, you're, you know, I when I first reached out to you, I mean, it was exciting to meet someone, you know, virtually that's doing what you're doing but then you go and explore your social media and you realize um wow like words Thank don't you. do it just justice <laughs> so i i know uh, we'll be providing links to to all your your website and your socials but the it, it really is the message is received like i look at it and think you know yeah this is um like i'm understanding it I think mm -hmm. that just because of my own fascination with with my industry and every time I I used to save every single offcut just yeah. my father was a cabinet maker and I think every um tradesperson like I'm sure you know metal workers have a, a bin full of metal they're like I'll have a use for that someday and every carpenter has you know offcuts that um, even if you're only starting a fire with it it's something that you'll can repurpose reuse yeah. um, and and put into something and I think the leather industry the saddlery trade I don't see it happening as much and I, I remember trying to give this stuff away to to um you know people just crafting and there, there wasn't yeah. much uptake for it and I'm like why why not you know like it's an amazing yeah. um thing to work with and you've just knocked it out of the park as far as you you know you're not just repurposing it it's something that is getting you know attention from Thank the you. likes of you know RuPaul's Drag Race um you know and th that doesn't you know it that does not happen by accident. That that happens by your work speaking um, loud and clear, and that that's yeah. pretty incredible. So I I hope that my trade, the industry, and Walsall is is embracing you and, and figuring out ways to uh, to support you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of um, one of the biggest one people I work with. I think you well you're definitely be familiar with them because I get a lot of my um, offcuts from Albion um, and they're always um, just incredible uh, every time I go there um, and it's it's mesmerizing to I absolutely love walking around like factory floors and just just seeing what's going on and it's nice to have that exchange of like oh cool you know we have this you know real historical heritage trade going on um, 
and then we have you know i guess myself i guess like the next generation of it who are sort of trying to push it towards new audiences in a new way so yeah it's, it's really nice and thank you for all your kind words regarding um the social media and and i'm glad that um some of the themes and the messages within my work are sort of um coming across visually um because we do put a lot of work in into that um and and make, try and make it very curated i suppose um so yeah, yeah thank you <laughs> no it's it's brilliant i mean i've made so many attempts to to you know when i look at your every your i don't know what the all-encompassing word is your brand when i look at your brand mm -hmm. so th that's everything from the product the images um how things are are photographed lighted everything and because i was obsessed with fashion as a consumer like uh, like i i was one of those young men that you know i had you know vogue magazines and all kinds oh, of I love that. you know i was just in it and it wasn't it was for the images it was for just you know seeing you know wearable art i was always fascinated with that and then I look at your stuff and I'm thinking that takes me right back it snaps me back to being 16 17 18 years old and just seeing that that vibe and that feel of of high fashion and it's oh. it, it's so funny to be like and it's all recycled <laughs> you know like which yeah. is so on point and the leather I I'm I get a little confused sometimes with the leather side of things and maybe you can speak to this is that yep. I think there was a tight I I think it's a you know a tempest in a teacup thing of people saying you know that alternatives to leather are, should be embraced yeah. rather than leather itself and I'm thinking no wait a second you don't understand leather if you're thinking yeah. an alternative to it is superior it's not and yeah. You, you know what you're doing is saying hey look this was diverted from the landfill um, yeah. and you, you know how many people have um, you know of a certain generation have a leather jacket in their closet or um, a sheepskin coat or something that you know was say in the style of the 60s or 70s and they could just take it and have it recut and reimagined and wear it again yeah. for another generation <laughs> like and yeah. you don't have to look at it so i'd love to hear what your thoughts are on on leather yeah i mean um i guess i, I guess it's something that um all of us in in this sort of trade and craft or whatever position it, you find yourself in within the leather industry that that we're facing and have faced over the last couple of years um for me i've always seen it as just such a beautiful durable timeless material um i mean one of the services we do here is um you know we do renovation and repair so if you do have like a really old jacket and, and you you love it and it's been handed down for generations but it needs that bit of tlc to make it last for the next one then we do that as well so i think we're very um you know i'm very much of a sort of buy less wear more and, and and buy into quality which i think leather provides um when i've worked with other sort of artisans or designers you know we've all had the conversations around you know maybe we've tried working with these alternatives but it just does not 
it doesn't have the qualities of leather. It doesn't breathe like leather. It doesn't mold like leather. It doesn't last like leather. Um, and I think the number one thing that maybe irritates me a little in terms of uh, people um, trying to push alternatives as um, as a better alternative to leather is that a lot of these brands are not um, they're not transparent about how much of those industries are reliant on plastic as like bonding agents um so you know you can have like your pineapple leather and your mushroom leather which is it's being marketed as it is 100 percent plant-based and it's not you know it's fossil fuel derived um and you know there are issues with um some aspects of the leather industry i suppose and you know if somebody doesn't want to wear leather then obviously i would never sort of force that upon them but i think in terms of sustainability and longevity i think for me leather leather is far superior it lasts better it gets better with age it's strong um it's versatile um and yeah i think i think in terms of the environmental debates around the two materials i think it's a case of what can we do to make the industry that we have better have the alternatives for the um the groups of people who do not want to wear leather that's absolutely fine i, I don't see why why one has to you know get rid of the other if that makes sense of course yeah um for you know i think i think the way that i run my practices it, it's it's slow fashion it's bespoke um you know it takes a long time it's very considered um and working with base materials as well you know there's no extra demand to order in x amount of hides from wherever because the hides are already here or the offcuts are already here so i think it's yeah all the qualities of leather and then the way in which we operate for me um that that's what makes it you know the better choice individually so i oh, hope yeah. that wasn't too much waffle there no 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 <laughs> and you know this is a podcast i'm i'm trying to really speak to the people that want to they don't want a an hour long commercial they i'm yeah. i want you know so the deeper we get into something or more specific um that's that's you know so important to me because you know if if the 13 people listening <laughs> have a takeaway or get something from it i'm not trying to be you know yeah well let's just say catchy things that are great audio clips um so as far as the actual i mean how hands-on are you then in the like actually sitting at a sewing machine and cutting the materials out you know i know design part but are yeah. you are you are you working with a team of people um i'm about to take on my first apprentice so that's going to be exciting um i think since day one we've had like such a lot of um interest in in what i do um so i've taken on students and interns in the past um which has been great and it's been great to pass those skills on um especially like working with leather um because i think in terms of like design education it's really a skill that's been lost but 
everything that you see on my socials has gone through my hands. So I cut the patterns, I prep everything, I glue everything, I sew everything, I skive everything. Like it's it's all gone through my hands. So um, I'm very early days of my business where I'm building my team, but uh, predominantly it's just me at the moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's really important. You know, my journey through the trade was selling the finished product. And it's funny, selling something you are so... It's like the clothes we wear. I don't I don't know how to make mm-hmm. a t-shirt or a pair of jeans or anything. And then you think, well, you know, I, I'm, you know, how many times you've thought, why do they do it that way? You know, and then when yeah. you're, it, it's it, just a little light bulb when you said, you know, you skive everything. And, and it's like the relationship you have, no two pieces of leather skive the exact same way. <laughs> so you, sure, yeah. you kind of have to become this split second feedback through your hands going oh this is a little bit ropey so I'm gonna have to be doing yeah you know skive this differently or be gentle or um you know yeah this really is destined for the floor rather than (laughs) the the garment (laughs) but it's it's that split second decisions where if you were just saying I'm gonna hire someone pay them minimum wage and they're just gonna skive pieces yeah they wouldn't really understand the relationship of you know well yeah that piece would be okay because it's going in this piece of the garment not that piece and sure. it's okay there but it's not okay there i think that's you know really important i think anyone who works with leather that they're kind of getting their mitts all over every single aspect of it absolutely and um i mean every you know whether it's collections or commissions and i think i see this predominantly in my sort of bespoke commissions for my private clients and you know i'll get some mad things come to me and i mean as a designer it's my uh it's my duty to to figure that out and to develop it and to do all those processes and sample it before i go ah i know that's how i bring it to life you know i might have a vague idea but so much of that process of making something is me sitting down experimenting and maybe you know cursing from time to time (laughs) when I'm getting frustrated with it but by the end of that project you've mastered a different part of it and you build upon your knowledge every time and I think that's something I try and get across to whether it's students who come and work for me or apprentices I like to be as hands-on as possible train them as much as I know and get them working with the material so they can really understand the capabilities of each different piece um and also I think that's you know it's also quite handy where sort of working with scrap comes from because I've got plenty that I can test on as well before I I move on to the final piece but um yeah a lot of the time it is one big experiment and then hopefully it turns out into something beautiful which um it has so far touchwood and that's the other side of I think working with remnants like I know when I've brought in you know whether I've ordered from Abby and you know you get your um, hides in and you know you roll it out you know that you know from a saddlery thing that you know the whole fit for purpose really comes in right so this part of the hide is always going to be a seat this part of the hide is always going yeah. to be this part of the saddle, this part of the hide I can use um, in internal components. 
and the other stuff ends up as as remnants now when i'm laying a pattern out on a fresh hide and i cut into it and you know the next day i've messed it up (laughs) i've ruined it through (laughs) stupidity not paying attention lack of experience i've done it all i have i have a very 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 expensive education <laughs> yeah <laughs> in, in 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 wrecking highs and going oh yeah not that way idiot but when you're working with remnants as as you say like you know companies like albion that are are producing you know a, a good volume of of materials and you know part of their marketing is that they're using the best part of the best hides for durability yeah. For you know, you're really buying a high-end, well-made product, no question. But you know, when you have say remnants that you've got going, oh yeah, okay, I'm I'm going to experiment. I'm going to push an envelope, try an idea, something. Yeah. And you haven't got you know 300 pounds uh, invested in a, in a single hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you're yeah. like, no, no, this is not the stuff you experiment with, right? Um, yeah. So that it must create uh, a sense of, you know, creativity, freedom. Um, I, you know, I would imagine. I don't know. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, much the same way, in the, in the way that you would go about a saddle and go, you know, this bit is is suitable for the seat and this bit is suitable for that. Now, obviously, you'll have, I guess, certain um, uh, restrictions of not just. Um, quality and luxury but also safety involved um and it's much the same in clothing in that you know i can look at a piece and go actually that would work well on this part of the clothing and that part would work part uh, you know here um if it, if it has slight flaws in terms of um scarring or marks you know that can become rather than as something that that wouldn't um you know be suitable on a saddle it can become something that's almost like a design feature within within fashion so i think that there's a lot of freedom with it there and i think especially with with my aesthetic which as i said there is that kind of grungy industrial you know it's high fashion but it has those undertones um you know almost like a punky kind of feel um you know there's 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 freedom in in that i think oh yeah it's in, and it's interesting you mentioned the scars because the especially some of the American hides more I guess there's brands mm. on them as well and um, I used to just f- photograph them like I'm obsessed with that yeah. um, you know I'm not creative enough to turn them into pieces so you know my best thing is to I photograph them and go oh that 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 looks really cool you know but yeah. it is. Um, it is nice that you can kind of and again that's a commentary isn't it like you know the fact is that you know for a lot of manufacturers a scar or a stretch mark or something is discarded and there you are finding um a purpose and a beauty and a statement in it i think that's pretty cool yeah yeah because i think that i mean you know I'm constantly, although, although, you know, my knowledge and experience with leather, you know, um, it's built over the years, but, but like all of us, you, you keep learning as you go, you know, it takes a lifetime to master a craft, I think. Um, that's something I, I tell myself now when I'm, 
eager to to get to the next level it's you know I think the journey is important and you know reading recently that you know some people see like the scarring in in leather as like more of a strength and some people see it as you know a defect some people see it as a thing of beauty some people don't and um yeah it's um it's it's all down to how you look at it I suppose isn't it and for what the purpose of the object that you're making is so well exactly and then some saddles the you know I break it down to their structural components that you just have to use the strongest part of the hide um, which tends to be often the one that's less scarred up and and so on anyway but there's other pieces where it's like it does not matter it's not it's it's you know but you know you're trying to sell a get as much for your product as possible so you tend to just you know you're you're avoiding all the scars and everything and the reality is tanneries i mean have to work with you know that the, the the life of that animal is there laid out on their hide literally right so yeah insect yeah. bites uh attacked by another cow <laughs> whatever it's yeah. it's all there so i don't know i i that's why i say i i look at it and think oh that's very interesting it's almost to me the same as is it's um, the grain and wood it's you know we have no trouble embracing that yeah. And, and you know but uh you know it's to me i'm glad that it's ending up somewhere in someone's piece for sure so a question i have for you and this is just like an opinion so yeah when i look at the history like when i dig into um i don't know late 1800s pre world war 1 you know, the Walsall, the trade, the town was like just booming. I was going to use that word. <laughs> yeah. so, and there was, you know, and part of it was, okay, they're, they're kidding out cavalry. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that, you know, all the military was, was horse centric, but there yeah. was also the whole, you know, I think glove making was huge. Um, yeah. And so there would have been a ton of um, innovators and fashion designers and people. It, it We think of it because through today's lens, we think, oh, that's an old world trade or historic mm-hmm. trade or however we want to uh, deem it. But when I read... Uh, about the old industry they were innovators they were like they're people you know looking for the next big thing you know to obviously make more money employ more people do more things but also they're they're kind of they're just innovating because they they're you know do you feel that any connection with that it's made me want to dive deeper into that sort of, um, you know, that innovation sort of hub that it would have been. And I think going back to your original point of, you know, issues of class and how we're raised, like, did they see themselves as that? Um, so I'd really like to 
actually look into that like a little bit more. Um, I definitely feel, I mean, a big part of what I do is, is wanting to revive that spirit. Um, I've seen my hometown um, really suffer sort of economic decline in the last 15 years or so. Um, and I think for me, I, I it's really kind of my life aim to revive that real innovative spirit that would have been about at that time, but really sort of I'm hell bent on kicking it into, into the future. Um, so yeah. yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. I, and I, I, this is the part is say, I'm not from there. My best mate is, and yeah. we, we talk a lot about, you know, I have a romantic view of Britain because of yeah. just, you know, I was born here, but, you know, when my parents emigrated, but they emigrated away from, um, and it's really funny, during Thatcher era, and when yeah. I say, like, oh, I just saw this documentary, I mean, no wonder you emigrated, and they looked at me like, well, that wasn't our experience. We, we had a fairly okay life. It was the um, It was just opportunities. It was an adventure to go somewhere else. Um, yeah. and um, you know whereas it's easy when people visit Walsall from North America and they see it as a uh, the best term I can use is a hard place like yeah. that people are you know it's um, you know just hard hard working people that and I would imagine they would have and and you know when you for sure when you I've seen it with with my friends his friends thinking oh you you think you're better than us now <laughs> you know like and <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like just because he's made a success of himself somewhere else and it's it's like no but you know could I have done that and stayed in Walsall maybe but it's it's yeah. just that much harder and I'm, and it's, it's just I don't know, exciting for me to to see someone that's saying, no, this is my base, my yeah. raw materials come from here, and it's steeped in that historic uh, um, trade, but also, you know, as you say, kicking it into the future. You can just look at your socials and understand this is <laughs> not um, anything other than than a really high-end exciting feel to it so it's it's really um, i don't know i just love it yeah i think oh, thank you so much that means ever such a lot and um I, I really identify with that because as i mentioned earlier i spent years trying to get out of here thinking i was <laughs> I, I never really fit in and i and i still don't and i'm sure you know there might be certain places that i go here when people might be like who the hell is that and why is she dressed like that <laughs> um but i'm quite down to earth really when when uh you know in in my my day-to-day -day, um i like extravagant fashion and mad ideas um and i spent a good portion of my life you know i'm gonna go and live in london or you know live in new york and work here for a bit and thinking yeah this is the place i'll make it and then when I did my graduate collection, it was very much about embracing, um, embracing where I was from. Yeah. Um, and as, as, as I was setting out um, as an independent, it just made more and more sense really to, um, 
to base myself in Warsaw. Um, I really want to do something to lift up uh, where I'm from and just show people that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. We are absolutely capable of, of producing excellence. And I think the conversations that are happening in fashion at the moment around sustainability there are a lot of people moving out of the big cities and moving closer to production so when I was doing my graduate collection and I was sitting with you know bags and bags of waist leather I was like I'm really onto something here I, I really believe I could make this work as, as as a business as a brand and and as as a life I guess um because as much as I, I talk about business and fashion at, at the end of the day it comes down to I'm, I'm still I guess a craftsperson like in love with my work and just sitting in my studio developing the next thing yeah I, I love it I think and it would change um if you as you say London I would imagine cost of living is at least triple um, yeah, the stresses that would be put on you, um, you know, maybe having to supplement your income, doing something you desperately don't want to do. Yeah. Um, it all takes away from creativity, whether it's the desire to be creative or the time to be yeah. creative where you can hopefully immerse yourself and say in a, in a, in a, in a town where it's like, literally if you're struggling with something or needed um just that one particular piece of hardware or remnant in a different color you could probably have it in your hands two hours later this is it and this is you know everything really that i get i can source it within like a two mile radius you know like yeah. the area was built for it so i think it's it's just um you know looking at, at clever ways that i can incorporate that um, and definitely works in a really sort of like circular way. Um, and I guess the beauty of, well, there's there's two nice facts here. The beauty of being in the Midlands, you know, I can get to London in two hours. So, you know, if I need to go and see this person or that person or I'm collaborating with this stylist, I can get there. Um, and also the fact that, you know, social media today, it's, 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 for all its faults it's a real blessing that you, you can be in the middle of a small town with a high fashion brand and you can reach people you know across the world which is how i've managed to build it this far really so yes so um i'm also curious too you know i'm i'm so equestrian centric focused are people who are approaching you for commissions are they anything to do with equestrian or are they people who are into the, that they get what you're doing as far as this repurposing? Yeah. Um, so we have amongst sort of like my network and, and groups, whether it's creative or business or friendship groups. And it's kind of a running joke that, Oh, I'd love to be like a fly on the wall in Lauren's waiting room because you cannot line my client base up. <laughs> so it's, you know, drag queens, performers, rappers, um, bikers. Um, and then at the end of it, just, I guess, people with that disposable income who really like beautiful fashion, um, they 
tend to, if they're buying collection pieces, they might be, I don't know, say women in their um, their 30s and upwards um, who have that income, but more importantly, they've got a real commitment to buying into the sustainability aspects of it and the repurposing. So, for example, they might not buy any new clothes in terms of like they'll boycott mass produce things, buy everything secondhand, but then they will buy like a beautiful bag from me because they like the fact that it's it's being made from waste. Um, I do have a few people um, who are sort of into uh, sort of the equestrian sort of lifestyle, um, but I think. I think what's nice about what I do is it kind of it has a lure across lots of different groups in society and lots of different niches. So it challenges me as a designer in that I have to find out exactly who that person is so I can make something that really speaks to them and about them. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot place my customers in one group. It's a, a real mixed bag. That's that's interesting. I like that. It's it it it, <clears throat> it well, and you know, business one on one, you always be diverse, right? Yeah. And if your client base is diverse, it means that you're never just relying on say, you know, with fashion, we tend to think fast fashion. You know, a lot yeah. of times that's what pops into my head of, oh, what's on trend at this moment yeah. where, you know, you find, like you say, your customers are not necessarily like, I don't want to be the, the you know, the 15th person that day that's walked by wearing that and then yeah. it's worn three times and it's in the landfill or down a charity shop. It's, you know, they, they're, they're wearing their statement as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's probably the one the one thing that maybe links them is that they do, you know, they want to be different. They want to stand out. They don't want it to look, um, you know, perfectly on trend and of the time. They want it to, to speak something about their own personal style. And I love that. Um, I try and have like a really nice um, sort of one-on-one with my clients. So, you know, you come to the studio, I'll make you a cup of coffee, we'll have a chat, we'll talk about what you want, I might do some sketches, show you some samples, but at the same time, I'm figuring out who they are as a person, so I can get hold of all their little quirks, um, and so I can put that into a piece so that when they come in, they're like, yes, that is mine, and it could only be mine, because, you know, it, it's, I think, it's a lot more personal than sort of like a brand pumping out x amounts of of um of products it, it really is about sort of you know putting the clients uh at the heart of it um and using my skills uh and my vision to bring to life something they really will cherish yeah i i totally get that i've always said that i don't know there's a you know we like to think it's just an inanimate object but when you're making something for stock you know to hang on a hanger and hope someone likes it and buys it versus yeah. making a piece for someone like the every single stitch into it was had their name on it yeah. it has a totally different feel and it in your passion that you put into it the 
that that client is on your mind that whole time i think it comes through in the product and i think that's you know it might be a bit artsy for me to be thinking that way but i i will never be convinced otherwise that a commission piece is has a soul if you like yes yeah yeah so 2024 what's uh you know how do you grow this type i mean at the end of the day it is a business so how do you grow and set goals and you know is it you know what what are you doing this year oh gosh um it's it's got to a point i mean i'm three years in now so be going into my third year and i seem to be busier than ever um you know i've got a really nice steady client base now which is great so lots of work coming in um and lots of um other other people reaching out whether it's to to collaborate but um i really want to push it forwards this year um so i'm looking to not only grow my team but i think uh sort of planning a new collection and it will still be like small batch produced and still sort of have have that heart within it um but looking at sort of developing that so that we can we can take it to um to buyers to try and get into stores and and try to get it out there um there's so much i want to do um i'd really love to to you know i did a little bit of work in theater um just finishing last month and i've always wanted to sort of get into like the costume side of things so you know i think i'd I'd, um i'd like to to try and get some contracts along there but i think in the meantime i've got enough work to to carry on i think it's just um just trying to grow it on a on a bigger scale now and get get the visibility sort of out there um but yeah yeah <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a busy one that's awesome well and as i say i can't thank you enough for um you know accepting my invitation to come on because i i just was so excited to have this kind of conversation um around leather and around saddle retrade and things like that but you know i cannot imagine that you won't just keep um, keep on being busy. It's just um, makes sense to me when I see what you're doing. That's exciting. All right, Lauren, I want to thank you so much for uh, for coming on and um, all the best of luck for 2024. And hopefully, we can have another conversation in uh, in the future and talk about what you're on, uh, what program you're on next. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hello, my name's Lauren. I'm from Warsaw in the Midlands in the UK. I'm a fashion designer specialising in leather and I'm based in Warsaw, which is essentially the epicentre of the historic saddlery trade. It's been a pleasure to be here on the Saddler's Post podcast. This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. 
Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.